a couple of weeks. We've been doing a series called Three in One. And just to review a little bit and maybe catch you up if you haven't been around, you know, generally we throw out the term three in one, especially in a church. The first thing that's going to come to your mind is the Trinity. I mean, everybody is going to say, oh, three in one, that's the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing is, is that, yes, God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he created people in his image, according to Genesis 1:26. And so the neat thing is, is that being created in God's image, he also made us a three part being. And we consist of a spirit, soul, and body. And that's what each person is. And, and the first uh, lesson that we looked at a few weeks ago, we looked at the body or the flesh, as the Bible refers to it so often. And we've seen that, yes, you know, that is definitely a, a part of who we are. Most people think that, you know, what you see is what you get. I mean, you know, I'm looking at you and that's the real you. But nothing could be further from the truth. That's only one minor part of you. And the crazy thing is, is that since most people, you know, that's the part they can see and they can relate to, uh, they let their bodies be the dominant part of who they are. And if you let your flesh rule you, if you let your flesh dominate you, you will make mistakes over and over again and you will have regret after regret because your flesh does not want to do the things of God. Your flesh and your body, it doesn't feel like getting up extra early to read the Bible. It wants to sleep. Your flesh doesn't feel like, you know, coming to church in the morning. It wants to, you know, watch the football game. It wants to go home and sleep and eat and and do anything else. If you listen to your flesh, it's going to lead you in the wrong direction most of the time. But the sad thing is, is that most people, they let their flesh dictate their decisions. And then last week, we looked at our soul. And, and, this, and the, the difference between spirit and soul is, is a tricky one because most people think that the soul and the spirit are the same thing. And they're not because Hebrews 4.12 very plainly shows us that the word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it says it divides between spirit and soul. So the Bible differentiates between the spirit and the soul. So then we're just reviewing here. Some of you heard this, some of you didn't, all right? So the soul, what is the soul if it's not your spirit? Well, you break it down, it's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And here we have yet again another problem because a lot of people, they not only let their flesh dominate them, they then let their soul dominate and they make bad emotional decisions. And if you make emotional decisions, you'll make some really bad decisions. Okay, you're going to say things out of anger or out of desperation that you're going to totally regret later and be like, why did I say that? Because you let your emotions rule you. You're going to maybe walk away from stuff. You're going to quit things. You're going to blow up and make angry decisions. even, Even out of moments of pure joy and excitement. You can make mistakes. You know what I mean? You know, we use the example of somebody that's maybe uh, they let their emotions rule them. And so they get really excited about something. Then they go out and spend a whole bunch of money on something that they shouldn't have done. And it's all because they made a really rash emotional decision out of pure excitement. And again, letting your soul dominate you is going to get you into trouble. So that brings us to where we are tonight. Part three of this, we're going to look at the most real you that there is, the main part of who you are, and that is your spirit. 
Your spirit is the part of you that can, be, that can get born again. Your body doesn't get born again. Your body, when you die, your body stays here on earth. It doesn't go anywhere. We either see you laying in a casket or we've got your ashes somewhere. And, you know, you know we miss you, but you're gone. All right? That's your body. Okay? Your body does not get born again. It doesn't go anywhere. Your soul... Also, you know, it, it doesn't get born again. Uh, and, and we proved last week that Jesus, he washes your spirit white as snow. But it's up to you every day. You've got to wash your soul, okay? And, and you've got to clean it all the time because your soul gets dirty every day. Jesus washed your spirit when you got born again, you've got to wash your body and your soul. You've got to wash your body because it's going to stink after a while, especially in this desert heat. You're going to get some bad B.O. And none of us want that. And then the next thing is this. You've got to wash your soul because every day it's going to make emotional to just do really dumb things if you don't handle your emotions and your will and your mind. Your mind will go all over the place and it gets attacked with thoughts every five seconds. Just negative, bad, nasty, mean thoughts all day long if you don't control it. So tonight, we're going to look at the best part of this whole discussion and we're going to look at your spirit. And if you can just get this tonight, it'll change your life, man. I promise you that. I was listening. I heard a lot of people comment on last week's message about the soul. And, you know, that's encouraging. You know, it's just out of the Bible, not stuff that, you know, I said, but out of the Bible. So I went back and listened to that a lot. And, you know, a lot of that, a lot of those scriptures we looked at last week, man, those were good. Those were some good scriptures. And, you know, God put those in the Bible for a reason. So I encourage you, if you didn't hear last week's message, hey, it's free. Go online, hdwc.org, listen to the sermons. You can download the podcast on your iPhone or in the Android store or whatever. And just listen to that, and, and it'll make a lot more sense to what we're dealing with tonight. So what we're going to do is open in prayer, and we are going to look at the spirit of who you are. And, man, you're going to see some stuff tonight. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much that we have an awesome church to worship you in, that we have uh, an, an amazing family to surround us and just pump us up and we can just rejoice with each other. God, I pray tonight that as we open our Bibles, you will speak to our hearts, Lord, and you're just going to change us from the inside out and make this word come alive to us. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, so number one tonight is this. Point number one is that your spirit wants to do right. And I should, I, should, I should add to that, if you're born again, your spirit wants to do right. If you're not born again, then technically you're, you're dead. And anyway, we'll just deal with that later. But, okay, so if you are born again, your spirit wants to do right. It wants to do good things, whether your body and your soul want to or not. And so the first thing we need to look at is in Galatians chapter 5. So let's turn there tonight. Galatians chapter 5. Here we go. And there's a lot of really uh, good verses in Galatians 5 pertaining to this topic. But Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 16. And I, I remember when I learned this verse, my junior year of high school, this really became live to me. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, verse 16, Galatians 5, 16, it says this. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There it is right there. How do you overcome the flesh? 
you walk in the Spirit. You can't overcome the flesh completely on your own. Now again, we talked last week about the human will is an amazing thing. When someone really puts their mind to something and, and you know, sets their will to it, yes, people can do some pretty amazing things. But you cannot ever fully do it all on your own. There are things, bad habits that you have, you know, uh, in your flesh or emotionally or whatever. There's just stuff that you're not going to be able to overcome because the only way they can be overcome is through the spirit. Now, I know, uh, you know, a lot of different people I know and some great people even in this room. You know, I, I knew you before you were born again and after, okay? And some of your testimonies are absolutely amazing. And I know some of you guys, there was just some stuff that you could not shake, no matter how hard you tried. And it is incredible. I've seen you get born again, and it's just like, boom, you quit doing it. You were delivered. And stuff you tried for years in your own ability and in your own strength and intellect and, and your own will and mind and all this stuff, you could never beat it on your own, could you? But then you get born again and you start living by the Spirit. You start walking in the Spirit. And all of a sudden, you're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh anymore. Because the answer to overcoming the flesh, the answer to overcoming your soul, that is your mind, will, and emotions, is through the Spirit. And I know a lot of people that would love to overcome the flesh. I know a lot of people that would love to get their flesh under control and, and, and just change the way that they're doing things. But listen, you can't do it unless you're walking in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, and listen, you've got to let your spirit dominate you. Now, have you ever done something and made a decision and just immediately on the inside, you were like, oh no, should not have done that. And this wasn't, you know, your body telling you because your body wanted to do it. Okay. This wasn't your, you know, just your emotions saying, oh, you're going to, you're going to regret this. No, you did something and immediately on the inside, you felt just ripped apart. That's your spirit right there. And your spirit wants to do the right thing. And so many times we make a decision and your spirit's saying, no, I don't want to do that. No, no, no. And your body's saying, yes, you're going to do it. Yes, you're going to do it. And there's a fight going on, isn't there? There's a fight. And it's at this moment, we're going to see what you're really made of. We're going to see who is in control of your being. Is it the spirit or is it your soul? Or is it your flesh? What is it? And so many times, people, they ignore what their spirit's saying to them. And they really regret it later. You know, I think about it this way. Have you ever tried to maybe, like, lead, your, you know, an animal somewhere, and they're fighting the whole, they don't want to go, and, you know, you've got your dog, and it's digging its feet in, or, or it's walking really hard this way, and you're like, come here, come, and, and you're jerking it around, and, and you're trying to make it do what it doesn't want to do. That's how I envision a lot of us with our spirits. Our spirits saying, no, I don't want to go there. No, I'm not like that anymore. Don't take me there. And your body's saying, yes, you're going to go. Yes, yes, you will. And there's this fight, this tug of war going on. And so many times you, you don't listen to your spirit. And you eventually, you, you start man, making yourself calloused. And I say this way, man, nobody is, ever just goes from being a 1,000% on fire Christian. They're in church three services a week. They're serving, they're singing, they're worshiping, they're tithing. They just all of a sudden say, well, you know what? Okay, I'm done. That was fun. I'm done with church. I'm just going to go find something else to do. No, it's a process. 
And it all starts with one decision at a time, ignoring what your spirit's saying. It, it's, not, it's not an instant thing. The people that I see that backslide and get themselves in bad situations, it's they just started ignoring the, their spirit on the inside, you know, one decision at a time. The Holy Spirit is speaking to their spirit. They take a drink and they're like, and on the inside it's, no, why did you do that? But then they're like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to do it again. Forget, you know, just a little bit more won't hurt. Next thing you know, one drinks turns into two to three. And then you're drinking every Saturday. And then, you know, you're you're now you're not just drinking. You're getting drunk. And I don't care who you are. You know, I know some Christians think a little drink here and there is not bad. All right. I'm not going to go there. I'm, <laughs> but we could we could go there. I'm not going to. But no matter what type of Christian you are, nobody can justify as a Christian getting drunk. Ever. All right. You know what I mean? And next thing you know, you've calloused your spirit so much. You've drug it along when it was screaming at you. Don't do this to me. Next thing you know, you've got yourself in a bad, bad situation because you ignored the spirit on the inside of you. Your spirit didn't want to do that stuff. Your spirit didn't want to go to those places. Look at those things on that computer screen, on that phone. It didn't didn't want to do that stuff. But you forced it into submission, and here you are in a bad spot. And when you callous your spirit, when you beat it into submission, when you don't let it speak to you, when you don't, you, you get to a place where you just you don't hear from God anymore, and that's an awful place to be. You know, I find it incredible that in Psalm 51, King David made the worst decision of his life. We know he committed adultery and had a man murdered for it. And out of all those things, David says. Do not banish me from your spirit. Don't take your spirit away from me. And even David knew how important it was for his spirit to be in communion with the Holy Spirit of God. And David could have said all kinds of things. He could have said, don't take the kingdom away. Don't take the money away. Don't take the chariots away. Don't take the food away. Don't take the palace. God, don't take my power. But out of all that, he said, no, don't. Take, you can have all that stuff. Take the cars. Take the houses. T- take the money. I don't want any of it. God, just don't take your spirit away from me. I can't live like that. And eventually, if you keep beating your spirit up and ignoring it, you get to a place where you don't hear from God anymore. And that is a lonely, miserable, pathetic way to live your life. And, and I mean, that's what the devil wants right there. He wants you to disconnect from God and from church spiritually to such a place where you don't know if you're hearing from God anymore, you're hearing from the devil, you start listening to all kinds of nasty things, and you do really dumb things. Because you let your flesh or your emotions, your soul, dominate you instead of your spirit. And that is not how a born-again Christian was designed to live their life. And so let me show you something here. I want to refer to a passage that we've discussed in our first two lessons, and that's in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at uh, Jesus here praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's look at Matthew chapter 26. Yes, Matthew 26, verses 40 through 41. Matthew 26. And so if you can get this tonight, we're going to teach you how to save yourself a whole lot of trouble in life. Matthew chapter 26. Let's look at verses 40. Through 41. Check this out. So Jesus, you know, he, he's praying. You know, he, I mean, this is a, obviously a very serious moment. And so he takes some disciples with him. 
and, and he's praying and, and he's just spilling his guts out to God and all this stuff. But look at um, verse 40 here. It says, then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. I mean, he brings the guys he thinks he can count on for a time of prayer and they keep falling asleep. Look at this. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? It's like, Peter, one hour is too much to ask? I'm like, if Peter can do one hour, that's pretty good, because a lot of the people I see trying to pray, they can't do the pre-service Sunday night prayer for more than like one minute. So anyway, we'll do that later, but I'm just saying, some people need to, need to focus on that a little bit more instead of their iPhone. All right, so he's saying, you couldn't even pray for an hour, Peter? When uh, the, the whole world is at stake tomorrow, do you realize that I am dying for all of humanity tomorrow? And you couldn't stay awake for an hour, Peter? Now look at this. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. And so Jesus makes this profound statement right here. He's saying, I don't think Jesus was mad at them. You know, he wasn't really making fun of them and stuff. Jesus was saying, guys, listen, I know your spirits want to do this. I get it. You're good, guys. Your your spirits, they're willing to do this for me. But your flesh is weak. You've got to get to a place where your spirit that is willing overcomes the weak flesh. And we even saw how in this amazing passage that Jesus had a three-way battle going on. His body was shaking and sweating blood and saying, no, don't do it. Find another way. His emotions were going at it because he specifically used the phrase, not my will, but thy will. So Jesus laid down his will, his own will, which is part of the soul. And he said, no, not my will, thy will. So Jesus, in this epic battle right here for the ages... His spirit dominated his body and his soul. And Jesus made the most important decision that's ever been made in the history of the world. It was a spiritual victory. And we all know that he went on and, you know, died and rose again. And he made it possible for our spirits to be united in heaven with our creator one day. If Jesus had not done what he did that day, what a mess would be. We'd be hopeless, man. There, we, we would be miserable, pathetic people wandering this earth with no hope of anything ever getting better, but because Jesus didn't listen to his body. And, and a, lot of, a lot of people sit there and think, well, yeah, but he's Jesus. He had to do it. It was his calling. He had to do it. But Jesus specifically said, I do not have to do this. If I wanted, I could ask right now for my father to send in 12 legions of angels and get me out of here and kill all these soldiers. I don't have to do this. So no, Jesus didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. He chose to obey and chose to lay down his will. And so for us, we've got to get to the place where... We listen to our spirit because your spirit wants to do the right thing. Now, I need to show you a very important Old Testament verse here in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. Proverbs 20, verse 27. And when I was in Bible college, uh, Brother Hagen had already passed away, but they, they gave us this, uh, this video class that he had taught. And it was about uh, the, the gifts of the spirit. And so every single day for several months... He, he read this verse every, every single day. This is his main verse. 
Proverbs 20, verse 27. And it's a really great verse. And it confused me a little bit at first. I didn't quite understand it. And you may not either until we explain it. But Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27 in the New King James says, The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, or the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. So the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. What in the world does that mean? I did not understand that. That didn't make any sense to me. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It's the lamp of the Lord. Well, what that means is it's your spirit that God uses to illuminate truth to you. He doesn't use your body to, to get truth to you. He didn't say the body of man is the lamp of the Lord that he uses to get truth to you through. Your eyeballs are the lamp of the Lord. Or the soul of man is the lamp of the Lord. No, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. And the best way to describe that or break it down is this. I mean, we live and, you know, we're surrounded in a world of darkness, right? And so isn't it great if you're in complete darkness? I know that one night I stayed the night in a cave, all right? That's a long story for another day. But I was in this cave all night long. And in this cave, it, if you've ever really been in a, in a cave, I'm, you know, I'm not talking, you know, we got some caves. I've been in a few in the desert, but they aren't quite like this one. You had to like crawl through this hole to get underground like 30 feet and go down there. There's water and rivers and everything and bats and stuff. But you get down there, you turn your flashlight off. That is the darkest dark that there is in this world. You're, it's nothing. You can't see a solid thing. You can put your hand here, hold it there for an hour. You're not going to see anything. There is nothing darker than that. But you know what's really cool when you're in complete darkness? Is if somebody has a flashlight or a match or a candle, anything to bring light. And that's what God uses your spirit for. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. God speaks his truth to your spirit. That's why you can't understand God with your mind. Because God wasn't meant to be understood with your mind and your emotions. That's why you don't see God with your eyeballs. God wasn't meant to be seen with human, natural, physical eyeballs. All right? The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. And that's what God uses to light up truth in the darkness for you. The spirit of man. And that's why we've got to let our spirits dominate us. And, and, and we can't be relying all the time on our natural senses. And, and way too many Christians, th- that's the trouble with looking for visions and signs and dreams and chasing after these things. Yes, God can use them. And, and I heard a very wise man say, in fact, Randy Greer, who's been to this church, that guy's had probably some of the most amazing visions and seen the most spiritual things of anybody that I personally know. But he said this quote when he was here. He said, 99.9999999. He said this. This is verbatim. Percent of the time, God is not going to lead you by showing you a vision, a prophecy, a dream, or something else. Okay? And yes, on that rare occasion, it can happen. Yes. And, and on an even rarer occasion, people have seen Jesus and have seen angels. I, I never have, but on a very rare occasion, very rare occasion, that can happen. But the trouble with that is, is that so many people, they want to they rely on those things. They just want to pray that, okay, if I could just see Jesus just one time, then it would all make sense to me. But listen, at that point, you are now out of the realm of the spiritual. You're not letting your spirit be the candle of the Lord. You're letting your physical eyeballs in the sockets 
try to be the candle of the Lord. I'll believe if I can see, man. If God would just give me a vision or a, or a dream or something, then I'd really know that I'm making the right choice. Listen, that's not how it happens most of the time. God's going to speak to your spirit, the still, small voice. You're not normally going to hear a booming voice. You need to accept the job at Fort Irwin, not at the Marine base. It could happen. But 99.9999999% chance that that is not going to happen. And you're going to have to develop your spirit like everybody else in the world has to and not be lazy. You're going to have to put in the time like everybody else to develop your spirit to where you can get to the place and say, Okay, God, my eyes see $50 an hour. I'm just throwing out a figure. $50 an hour at Fort Irwin. And I'm seeing, you know... $26 $26 an hour at the Marine base and, and $20 over here. My physical eyes see this. But Lord, what are you speaking to my spirit right now? If you rely on your eyes and your senses, guess what? You could definitely make a very bad choice, couldn't you? But if you learn, like the, like the most mature Christians do, how to listen on the inside, God may say, I know it looks straight over there, but listen to me, man. You're going to find out soon why I'm telling you, do not take the $50 an hour, take the 20 And you may, you may think, well, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand that. Why? Why? And then you find out a month later, all those people got laid off, lost their jobs, and did never return again. And here you are with something stable. And God said, man, I saw that coming. Aren't you glad you listened to me? But if you, were, if you were waiting, okay, God, it's $50 an hour. You're going to have to either appear to me, show me a dream, give me a vision, have somebody prophesy to me for me to not take this. Then, man, all kinds of dumb stuff could happen to you. And I've seen people get into bad situations. And so that's why I'm saying, listen to me. Let your spirit dominate you. Your spirit is the candle of the Lord. That's where God's going to speak to your heart. Amen? Amen. All right. So are you getting some of this? All right, your spirit is the candle of the Lord, not your eyeballs. Number two, number two, you have spiritual authority. All right, now, I mean, this is a whole series on its own, so, and I, this is obviously something I would love to talk about. So I'm going to stay focused and get through point two in an efficient, timely manner, or we could be here for a very long time, okay? This could get exciting. So we have spiritual authority, and that's something that way too many Christians don't understand. All right? You have spiritual authority. Now, do you have physical authority where you can just go around bossing people around all the time? Unless you've got a badge or something, you probably do not have, you know, physical authority. Okay? But the great news is what's even better than being able to boss people around? It's having spiritual authority and boss the devil around and tell him where to get off and tell him where to take a hike. All right? And so this is something to get excited about. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is in Luke chapter 10. So let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Some of you know where I'm going. Others, just hang on. You're going to see. Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 17 through 19. Luke 10, verses 17 through 19. Now, who's thankful that Jesus has bestowed some authority on you? If you're not excited, you should be. Something's wrong with you. Luke 10, verses 17 through 19. Now, man, people just, way too many people don't know this truth. This is just as real a scripture as John 3:16 is. You know, it's crazy. Sometimes you'll read a verse like this, like, well, that was for the disciples. That, that was not written to, that was, that's not for everyone. 
And I'm like, you realize in John 3, 16, he was talking to Nicodemus, but you quote that verse every day. John 3, 16 is for everybody. And so are these verses right here. Okay. I mean, come on. If John 3, 16 is for everybody to be saved in Romans 10, 9 and 10, then why isn't this? Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 19 And so when the 72 disciples returned, and yes, we've learned before, there are more than 12 disciples. He had his closest 12 apostles there, but he had these 72 disciples he sent out. When they returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. They were excited. I mean, and Jesus told them, okay, guys, listen, go out, use my name, cast out devils, heal the sick, use my name, and it's going to happen. And they're, they're actually, they come back to like, it really worked. Oh, my gosh. Jesus, your name really works. Even the devil obeys us when we use the name of Jesus. And he said, look at this. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Wow, can you imagine that day? And we know, you study this, that, that God kicked Satan out of heaven. But he didn't just say, hey, Satan, bro, we're going to have to ask you to leave. Your attitude's really thin in the angels. And I mean, it's just, you know, you've got 30 days notice. I mean, no, he didn't evict. He kicked him and he threw his butt so hard out of heaven that I imagine Jesus just standing there being like, whoa, what was, just like lightning. He sees Satan fall out of heaven and Jesus, he sees this one day. He sees Satan thrown out of heaven so fast that it looks like lightning. And can you imagine that landing when he hits the earth here? You know, he, he, I mean, gosh. So God, he kicked him out of heaven. And so Jesus, he's not surprised that the devil's afraid of the name of Jesus. He's not surprised that these 72 disciples used his name and cast out demons and devils and healed the sick. He's like, yeah, I saw Satan get kicked out of heaven and he fell like lightning, guys. I knew this the whole time. But look at this. He says, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you could walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Now, check this out. What did, did he say? Guys, this is great news. Great news for you 72 right now. If you act right now, you have authority over 75% of the power of the enemy if you act right now. No, he didn't say that. And he didn't say, call now, call right now. You get in here, you get in on this now. 50% of all the devil's power is broken if you act now. No, he said, listen, I have given you authority over all. Is all 75%? No, 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 no. Is all 90%. No, it's not. Is all 99.99%. No, it's close, but no. All is 100%. Jesus said, I have given you authority over all the power of the devil, of the enemy. You can walk among serpents, scorpions, man, nothing will injure you if you're doing it in my name. And so many Christians do not live anywhere near the level that God intended for them to live. They're suffering. They're in their soul, man. Their soul. Their emotional problems are all over the place. Their mind is getting beat up every day with negative thought. Man, this God stuff don't work. I'm telling you that right now. Just give up and walk away right now. It's Bible stuff. That church stuff. They talk about that tithing. Nothing's ever happened for you, man. It's, it's for them. You know, and the devil will throw these fiery darts 
all day long. And he's sitting there laughing like a little bull. He's like, oh, my gosh, they don't even put up a fight. This is great. I slapped them around all day. And they don't do anything at all. This is awesome. The devil loves that. The sad thing is that's way too many Christians because they either they, maybe they've read Luke ten nineteen and they just thought it was too good to be true. Maybe they skimmed over it. Maybe they never read it. I don't know what the reason is. But the devil should not be bullying you around. That makes no sense at all. It doesn't make any sense for the, you know, the kids to go around bossing the parents around. The parents are the ones that have authority. The parents are the ones that have that. It makes no sense. I mean, that is just messed up if that's going on. And that does happen at a lot of places. Just like the devil bosses a lot of Christians around. But it's equally stupid. It should not be happening. You have been given authority. You might as well use it. Now listen, there's a difference between power and authority. If you're relying on your own power, you don't in your own self possess power, physical power over the devil. You possess the authority to use Jesus' power over the devil, all right? So there's a difference between power and authority. And we're going to use the example we've used a thousand times, but we're going to use it again because it's perfect, right? So imagine this, okay? We've got just a, a basic traffic cop out there, we'll say on Main Street, you know, running traffic. Say this traffic cop is a little shrimp. We've got Barney Fife out there, okay? Five foot two, 106 pounds. You know, he's got one bullet. He does not have a lot of capabilities in and of himself. So he's out there running traffic. He's got a whistle. And here comes a big 18-wheeler barreling down the street. This thing weighs, I don't, you know, whatever, 30,000 pounds. And isn't it amazing that this one guy can stand there and simply do this, and that thing comes screeching to a stop? Is it because Barney Fife has the power to stop a raging semi? No. That thing could crush him, man. It'd just it'd be nothing but a greasy spot where he used to exist. You know, it'd be bad. But what he does have is even better than, than this power of his own. He has the authority to make this big, giant thing stop. He's got this little badge right here, and it's his authority that, listen, you obey me if you don't. The power backing this is going to come through and put your butt in jail. You're going to lose your job. I mean, just all kinds of stuff's going to happen if you don't obey the authority that's been given to me. And it's the same way with the devil. He comes in like the big bad wolf. He's huffing and puffing. I am going to rip you to shreds, man. Your finances are gone. I'm going to steal every penny you've got. I'm going to take your kids, your mom, your wife, the newborn, everybody. And you can't do a darn thing about it. And too many Christians are like, <laughs> Why? Why me, man? It ain't fair. My minivan got hit last week, then the washer went out. And then the dog ran off. And there's all this, all this just crying and feeling sorry for themselves. All this baloney when they don't have to take any of it. They can stand up and say, by the authority and the name of Jesus, I resist you. You have to flee right now. Get out of my house Get out of my life in the name of Jesus. But so many people, they don't do it. They're getting smacked around all day long, taking it and crying like a little girl. And they don't do a thing about it when they could step up and say, no, not going to do this anymore. In the name of Jesus, 
they have authority. And I'm thinking God's probably sitting up there saying, oh, what are they doing? I told him to just use my name. Why won't they do it? And, and so we've got to get this, that you have been given authority over all the power of the enemy. And just way too many Christians flat out just don't know what belongs to them. They have no idea what belongs to them. And, you know, Brother Hagin told this story in the early part of the 20th century. There was this, there was this, uh, this basically homeless guy in Chicago that people on, this, on the streets of the neighborhood, they knew him. He'd, he'd been begging for years, getting food out of, you know, the trash and everything. And, and just going from place to place, living on the streets some nights, maybe getting a cheap motel one night and all this stuff. And so one day the guy died. And they find out, you know, they do a, all this stuff. And they find he died of malnutrition. He just he basically starved to death and all this stuff. But he had this, this change pouch that he, he had around his waist under his, under his jacket. They look in there. We're talking like 100 years ago. There's $23,000 in there. And you're like, what in the world? $23,000 in the early 1900s was... A lot of I would take twenty three grand right now. That would be awesome. But a hundred years ago, I mean, you might as well have been like a millionaire or something. This guy had all this money, yet he lived a poor beggarly life, died in poverty, and died of starvation. And the thing is, this he had he could have stayed in the nicest hotel in Chicago, ate steak and lobster every night, but he never used what belonged to him. And so many Christians never use what belongs to them. You know, we can look at that guy and say, man, that doesn't make any sense. But Jesus can look at us and say, man, this doesn't make any sense. I thought I gave them my name. I thought I gave them the authority to use my name. I thought I told them that they can, you know, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'd have to flee. Why aren't they doing this? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. And so many people, they've got everything that they need. They've got the name of Jesus, but they just don't use what belongs to them. So they're getting smacked around, living in poverty, living, you know, uh, just place to place, getting thumped around in life, depressed, sad, mad, angry, blaming others. Just all this crazy stuff shouldn't be that way at all. If they would just open up the gift that God gave them, use the name of Jesus, they could put a stop to all this. And you know what you got to realize is this isn't just a one-time weenie thing. In the name of Jesus, you leave me alone. No, I'm talking about you've got to get legit with this, and you've got to really believe it. You've got to you know, say with your mouth and believe in your heart when you're using the name of Jesus. It's not a head thing. Because even then, some people will even bring the name of Jesus back to their head realm. Well, the, the preacher said use the name of Jesus, so... In the name of Jesus, leave me alone, devil. And it's, it's completely a mental thing. They're not even doing it with their spirit at that point. Then they're like, well, I guess it doesn't work. I prayed. I used the name of Jesus. Listen, again, you're bringing it back to yourself. You're bringing it back to your either fleshly or soul realm. And it doesn't work that way. We're talking about speaking the name of Jesus and believing in your heart that something is legitimately going to happen expecting the devil to flee, expecting it, knowing that it's going to happen. You've got to believe it when you use it. That's the key. There's so many verses. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, you believe in your heart, say with your mouth. Believe in your heart and then say with your mouth. We have Mark 11 up there. You've got to believe in your heart and then speak to the mountain, okay? It's the same way using the name of Jesus. You've got to believe that you've got that authority. You've got to believe that you've got that, that power in the name of Jesus. And so... 
I was, you know, reading, reading Luke 10, 19, what, what we were talking about there. I, I like reading Matthew Henry's commentary of the Bible. And he pointed out something great about Luke 10, 19. One concept that Jesus taught in several places is to him that uses well what he's already been given, more shall be given. All right. So you can mark 425, Matthew 13, 12, Matthew 25, 29. Jesus said, you know, to those that use well what they've already been given, more will be given. So imagine that you, so you see somebody that really starts using the name of Jesus like he wants you to. And Jesus isn't going to get mad at you for using his name. You know what? They're using it too much. We're going to have to put them on it. You know, 10 times a day cap for that guy. He's out of control. No, no. He wants you to use his name all day, every day. And the more that you use it, man, the more, you're, just going to get, you're just going to keep growing and growing and growing in this authority, man. And God's going to trust you with more and more and more. So use well what you've been given. And so, man, start off with something this week. Find something in your life that, that you need to just, it needs to bow its name to, need to the name of Jesus and use the name of Jesus on it and start making a habit of this, of using the name of Jesus. You've got to step out of that boat and, and stretch yourself a little bit, okay? So use what you've been given, all right? And so the third point tonight is this. Number three, you've got to let your spirit dominate. You've got to let your spirit be the dominant one. You've got to. So number one, your spirit wants to do the right thing. Number two, you have spiritual authority, okay? And then number three, you need to let your spirit dominate you. And, and the part of you that you pay the most attention to is the one that's going to dominate. And this is, this, is, this is the obvious answer to why so many Christians, their flesh dominates them or their soul. That's what they spend the most time with. You know what I mean? If you, if you spend the most time working out your arms, you're going to have huge arms. But if you never work out your legs, you're going to have little legs. Okay? That's just whatever, whatever you focus the most on is what's going to grow the most and be the strongest part of who you are. And so one guy that I think of is Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you know who Smith Wigglesworth is. Smith was, he was from England, okay? He, he didn't start off as a great Christian man. He was a pretty rough guy. He was a plumber in England. And uh, his wife, you know, tried for years. And finally he gets born again. And Smith just is on fire, full force for God. And he was one of the most powerful men of God that the world's probably ever seen. But especially in our era. You know, he, he died in 1948, but relatively within our era. And so... Smith, he was so on fire, worked so hard for the Lord, he hit the streets every day. If he wasn't actually preaching at a meeting, he hit the streets witnessing, preaching, evangelizing. And if he, if he laid his head down on the pillow at night and he hadn't led at least five people to the Lord, he felt like a failure. Like, man, I know a lot of people that have never led five people to the Lord in 50 years or their whole lives. And if he didn't do five a day, he went home. Man, I just, I'm slipping, man. I don't know where I went wrong. You know, just beating himself up. And, and the rest of us would be like, man, I would love for that to happen. But he was so, so on fire for God. But the reason for it was, is that his spirit completely dominated who he was. 
He wouldn't even let a newspaper in his house. He was like, you know, my dad heard the story. One time, Lester Summer, I was friends with him. Lester walks up to his house with a newspaper. And Smith's like, get it out of here. He throws the newspaper down the street. Get that trash out of my house. And, and you're like, gee, calm down, Smith. But listen, if you're going to get the results of people like Smith Wigglesworth or Kenneth Hagen, you're going to have to put that phone away, turn the TV off, get the newspaper out, because listen... You don't get the spiritual authority. You don't, your spirit doesn't dominate you by chasing Pokemon around on your car. Okay? Now, I don't mean to offend anybody. But if that's the highlight of your year, you drove around like a dork chasing Pokemon, and that's the best thing that happened to you this year, something's wrong with that picture, okay? You don't, you don't get to be a spiritual giant by playing on your phone or, or, I mean, you know, just being a dummy, watching TV. just a, I mean, we have more time wasters in this world right now than I ever thought. They don't, you don't have to find them. They find you. You know what I mean? It chases you down. Let me have some of your time. Let me have some. Oh, give it all to, and it's like, man, chill out. But, I mean, you don't, you're not going to be a Smith Wiggles or you're not going to be any type of a spiritual person if you don't start just getting rid of some of that stuff, man, Smith is documented to have raised 14 people from the dead. And this isn't just rumors or like, yeah, he prayed for a really sick guy. I mean, 14 documented cases of him raising people that were bona fide dead. All right. That didn't happen because Smith read the newspaper a bunch. OK, and it sure as heck didn't happen because. He watched TV and played on Facebook or whatever all day long, okay? Listen, if that's who you are, just forget about it. You will never even become one-tenth of the person that we're talking about. It will never, ever happen for you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about praying for the sick. It's just not, you're not going to have nothing, man. You're, you're, you're full of all this other junk, okay? So, Smith, though, I was reading, you know, I, you can find some of his stories online because he's got even an autobiography. But one of his stories I just wanted to share, I'm going to read it with you. It was about a young girl that died. And here's what Smith did, okay? Now, if Smith had reacted out of emotion or his own abilities or his own intellect, this story that I'm going to read would not have happened. But he was so dominant from his spirit that the miraculous happened every day in his life. He says, I was called at 10 o'clock one night to pray for a young person given up by the doctor who was dying of consumption. As I looked, I saw that unless God undertook, it was impossible for her to live. I turned to the mother and said, well, mother, you're going to have to go to bed. She said, oh, I have not laid in my bed for three weeks. So I turned to the daughters. Then you need to go to bed. But they didn't want to go either. And so I said the same thing to the son, but he didn't want to go. So I picked up my coat and started to walk out the door and said, goodbye, I'm leaving. They said, no, don't leave. I said, I can't do anything here. They said, okay, if you'll stay, then we'll all go to bed. And I knew that God would move nothing in an atmosphere of mere natural sympathy and unbelief. So these people were just feeling sad and had a bunch of sympathy. God's not going to, that, that sympathy does not move God. Okay. God is very compassionate. But it's sympathy is not what moves God. If, if, if sympathy moved God, then there'd be no problems in the world. God would feel sorry for everybody and just, boom, change your situation. Faith moves God. And so, anyway, they all went to bed, and I stayed. And then I knelt by that bed face to face with death and with the devil. But God can change the hardest situation and make you know that he's the Almighty. 
And so he's getting ready to do some spiritual warfare. It says, and then the fight came. It seemed as though the heavens were brass. I prayed from 11 to 3.30 in the morning. I saw the glimmering light on the face of the sufferer, but then I saw her pass away. The devil said, now you're done for. You've come all the way from Bradford and the girl died in your hands. I said, no, it can't be. God did not send me here for nothing. This is a time to change strength. I remembered that passage which said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Death had taken place, but I knew that my God was all-powerful, that he split the Red Sea. He's just the same today as he was back then. It was a time when I would not take no for an answer, and God said yes. Then I looked at the window, and at that moment, the face of Jesus appeared. It seemed as though a million rays of light were coming from his face. As he looked at the one who had just passed away, the color came back to the face. She rolled over and fell back asleep. And then I had a glorious time of praise. In the morning, she woke up before anybody else, put on a dress, and walked out and started playing the piano. She started to play and sing a wonderful song. Then the mom and sisters and the brother all came down to listen. The Lord had undertaken and a miracle had been given. What a story. Now, this, again, this happened 14 separate times. And, and he's got dozens of stories. And, you know, a lot of people are, you know, like, oh, he, must, he was so cool. No. The reason that this happened is because he didn't let natural, fleshly, or emotional, solical things steal his time. He was all out for God. His spirit told him, you know, and through the spirit of God, okay, when to get up, when to sit down, when to eat, what not to eat, what, where to go. And if you get to that place where you've developed your spirit like this, you don't need visions and, and you know, to, all this to be chasing physical things anymore. You just listen right here, right here to the spirit of God speaking to your born again spirit. And man, you are on your way to being used by God in a miraculous, miraculous way. So I want to show you one last thing tonight, and that's in Galatians chapter 5. Now, in our first lesson, we looked at Galatians chapter 5. Now, Galatians 5 contains two lists. One of the lists is called the works or the fruit of the flesh. And the fruit of the flesh is a, a nasty, terrible list to read. Okay, it, it talks about envy, drunkenness, rage, uh, wild parties, it says. And it just all kinds of nasty things. And it says, when your flesh, when you walk according to your flesh, this is what happens. It produces this type of fruit. But then he goes on and lists the much more famous list of Galatians 5 that most of you know. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And this is what happens when the Spirit dominates. When, just like Galatians 5.16 says, when you walk according to the Spirit and you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh... Galatians 5.22 happens. And check this out. It says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Now, as I read that list, I like every single one of those things. There's not one thing on that list that I, that I don't want to have. I want to, I, I, you know, at my funeral someday, you know, if Jesus tarries and I'm 120 or whatever, and I die and you're up here like, oh, there's old Pastor Dave, okay? 
I would love for people to be able to say, he was a man of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I would just love it if I could be described by those nine things right there. I can tell you how that is not going to happen if I'm, you know, letting my emotions rule me all the time. If I'm watching TV all day, playing video games, you know, chasing little creatures around and stuff, it's not going to happen, man. It is not going to happen. I'm going to be a nutcase like the rest of everybody in this world, okay? I don't want to be like that. The only way that you're going to get to where God has for you in life and you're going to be the person that God intends for you to be is if you'll let the real you, the spirit, rise up. And dominate that flesh and say, no, you're going to put that food down. You're, not, you're, you're full. Quit eating. You know, that sounds like a joke, but it's the truth. If your flesh dominates you, you'll stuff your gullet all day long and you'll, you'll abuse your body. And that's not being funny. That's for real. You're going to abuse your body and, and hurt yourself. Or, you know, you're going to say, if you, if, you don't, if you can't let your spirit dominate, you're going to watch nasty things on TV and on your computer, and, 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 and your spirit's going to say, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. And you're going to say, no, I mean, this feels good. I, I want to do this right now. Listen, you are not ever going to be anything that God wants you to be until your spirit can rise up and you can start telling your flesh, no, you're not going to eat that. You're not going to watch that. You're not going to say those words. You're going to get away from those people. No, no, no. And you're not going to ever be able to tell your flesh or your emotions. Your mind is going to lie to you. And you're not ever going to be saying, no, I choose not to believe that. I resist that thought in the name of Jesus. It's not going to happen unless you start building your spirit up. And so my recommendation for all of us is to immediately start reading more Bible. Immediately. And start doing less of the distraction things. Cut some stuff out this week. And I'm serious. Cut, cut some, some video games. You know, whatever it is. Whatever it is that steals your time. If you want to get anywhere, cut the junk out and double up on your word time. If you only do five minutes, do ten. If you do an hour, try to do two. Whatever it is. But I'm telling you. There's ever a time that this world needs strong Christians, okay? I'm getting tired of seeing our flags at half-staff every week. I drive past the, the police station every week and, and, and the fire station on Barstow Road every week. Every week I see that flag at half-staff. I'm getting tired of that stuff, man. And I'm not saying it's going to end because, you know, in the last days perilous times shall come. So what I am saying is that we're probably going to keep seeing it at half-staff a lot of the time. Is that being negative? No. What I'm saying is this, is that we need you to be strong. You have answers that they need. You have hope. If you could get the name of Jesus in more people's lips, on more people's tongues, if you could do that, there's going to be a whole lot less people mourning from the half-staff, and there's going to be a whole lot more people avoiding being the victims of the half-staff. And so I'm telling you, Put the distractions away. Get your Bible out. Get to church. Get on your knees. Pray. Worship. Sing worship songs to God. Do something better with yourself than waste your life away on fleshly and emotional, solical things. God needs you. We need you. Stand up. Tell yourself no. And be the person that God created you to be. Let the Spirit dominate. Amen. Let's go ahead and call it quick.